When you look at what Mark Stoops has built there in Lexington, a place that has long been considered, oh, you know, football's an afterthought. No, it's not. You go up there to Kentucky, you realize just how important football is to that community and to the fan base of Big Blue Nation. Hello, welcome to Always College Football. Today is Wednesday, August 10th. We appreciate you coming to us from wherever it is you're coming to us from. Every corner of college football world feels like is here with us at Always College Football. The season never sleeps, so why would we? With me, as always, is Mark Kubiak. I'm Greg McElroy. We appreciate you being with us. Please like, rate, and subscribe wherever it is you're getting the content, whether that's on the ESPN YouTube channel, on Apple Podcasts, or if you're here with us via Spotify, we really appreciate it. It helps the show out. Please tell your friends about it, too, because the word of mouth is huge. If you tell your friends about Always College Football, man, they like, rate, and subscribe, and then we can continue to put out Really fun content that help you understand what the landscape might look like this upcoming season. We have a great game plan in store for you today as we're going to hit the benchmark yet again. We did it a couple days ago, talked about teams that won 10 games last year, the likelihood of them potentially doing it again. We'll talk about the good news and the bad news for each of these few teams that we're going to hit today. We're going to talk about some underrated coaches and we're going to do some news and notes. So without much further ado, let's talk about it. Coming back to the 10-win season conversation, if you haven't seen the show, if you weren't with us a couple days ago, we talked about what defines a great season. And I think for most teams, a great year is reaching that 10-win plateau. Whether you do it in the regular season or if you do it in the bowl game, 10 wins feels good for just about everybody. Look, there's one national champion. There's 10 conference champions. There's 131 teams playing college football. And to get to 10 wins is insanely difficult. And if you look at 2021 and 2019, hey, let's get rid of 2020 for a second, just because that game, some teams played like four games. All right, so let's just, let's exclude 2020. There were 28 teams that won 10 games in 2021 and 2019. And then if you look back to 2018, there were 25 teams that won 10 games. It's tough to do. And I think for most programs, if you can get to 10, my goodness, does it feel great. We've already talked about Ole Miss. We've talked about other teams a couple days ago that hit that plateau last year, some of which Ole Miss is a good example. They hadn't hit it in 60 years. It's difficult to do. They hadn't had back-to-back 10-win seasons since 1959 and 1960. So let's dive into some of the teams, continue on with this series, and talk about some 10 wins from a year ago. Can they do it again? The way we've kind of broken this up, I'm going to give you some bad news, and I'm going to give you some good news. Bad news, basically interpret it as you will. If these things happen, you won't win 10. Good news, if these things happen, you will win 10. All right, fair enough. Let's start with the Iowa Hawkeyes, who quietly and forgettably had a 10-win season last year. It didn't finish the way they wanted to finish. Of course, they lost their bowl game to a team that we're going to talk about in just a minute. And they, of course, got beat badly in the Big Ten championship game. But hey, they were there. They were the Big Ten West champions and they're looking for their first back-to-back 10-win seasons since 2003 and 2004. That was back when Kirk Ferentz was a baby. This is third, fourth years at Iowa City. So it's been a while that they've won 10 wins in consecutive seasons. Okay, here's the bad news. The bad news is when I think Iowa football, I think ground and pound, right? I think about a team that wants to be physical at the line of scrimmage, that wants to move people off the spot. Well, that wasn't Iowa football last year. 
here's some scary numbers for a team. When you think about, hey, never really been much through the years. They better be pretty good on the ground. Not so much in 2021. They averaged 3.4 yards a carry last year. It ran for a measly 123 yards a game. That was good for 11th out of 14 in the Big Ten. And some of the teams behind them, they don't even try to run. So that's a scary thought considering that Iowa has long prided themselves on trying to create opportunities on the ground. That, coupled with the fact that they had the best center in America in Tyler Linderbaum last year, an All-American, a Remington Award winner, maybe the best offensive lineman in the country. So to think you average just 3.4 yards per carry with a 1,000-yard running back and an All-American center is extremely concerning. The offensive line was young, though, and they were a bit of a headache. More on them in just a minute. That's the first bit of bad news. Here's the second bit of bad news. The quarterback situation has been a mess at Iowa for a little bit now. Not to say that they ever had insanely great quarterback play. Sure, maybe back in the early 2000s with Brad Banks and, and even Drew Tate to a certain extent and, and Ricky Stanzi. Like, there have been good quarterbacks that have played at Iowa. C.J. Beathard, there's a handful but when you think about what Iowa has been, they've never really had a quarterback-friendly offense, so it's difficult to put up significant numbers. They haven't had a first-team All-Big Ten quarterback since 2004. Here's even scarier part. They have not had a quarterback eclipse the 60% completion mark since 2015. Now, that was with C.J. Beathard. To think that in an era when some guys are even well beyond, well beyond the 70% completion mark. To have a guy go over 60 feels like a foregone conclusion. The fact that it's been seven years since they've had a guy do that is of the utmost concern. Let's think about the guys that are now competing for the job. Do I think Spencer Petrus is probably going to be the guy? Petrus, excuse me. Yeah, I think he'll be the guy. I think it'd be difficult to replace the guy that has now started for multiple seasons. He did, however... Really struggled at times last year. Nearly threw as many touchdowns as interceptions. I believe it was 10 and 9. It was whatever it was. The numbers were not impressive whatsoever. And the other guy, though, if I would have seen anything from Alex Padilla, then he might have made a legitimate push to be the starting quarterback. However, he completed less than 50% of his passes. It's not like he was on the mark all the time either. They have got to get better quarterback play. Have to. If they don't, in a Big Ten that is moving more and more in that direction where quarterbacks do carry the day, obviously Big Ten run defense and all those other things, still a physical league, still a line of scrimmage league, but quarterbacks are becoming more a part of the conversation. They need to take a significant step at that position. That's the second bit of bad news. Here's the third bit of bad news. Is it likely? Is it likely? I'm just saying in the law of averages, when you are the best team in America when it comes to turning the football over last year, they forced 25 interceptions. 25 interceptions last year that led the FBS. And you take into account that they were plus 16 in the turnover margin. Now you're saying, Greg, these are good things. I'm saying it's going to be hard to replicate that success because in a law of averages, if you're like this, well, you got to come back down to earth so that over the course of time, things have a tendency of averaging out. Now, I acknowledge very much so that Iowa has traditionally done a pretty dang good job in turning opponents over. But to think that you're going to get 13 interceptions against Iowa State, Penn State, and Maryland, 
that's difficult for me to project. Just against Maryland and Penn State together was 10. So you got to think, if they can't turn people over the way they did last year, will they still be able to manufacture points and will they still position themselves to potentially win coin flip games? My answer is probably not. That's the bad news. You ready for some good news? Because there's plenty of it. You have some pretty talented weapons on the outside. Now, you can look at and say, well, how do our rep weapons compare to that of Ohio State? Well, they don't, but it doesn't matter. You're not trying to be Ohio State, not with where you're at right now. But I would take Sam Laporta at tight end over most tight ends in college football. This guy is athletic. He, of course, led Iowa in receptions last year, led him in yards, and he's going to get a million targets again with how they use him in the passing game. Couple that with the Nico Regani, who I think has a chance to really blossom here coming up this season. Combine that and pair that with a couple of really talented freshmen, whether it's Keegan Johnson or Arlen Bruce the Fourth, whatever it is, some combination of those four pass catchers could position this offensive passing attack to take a legitimate step forward. Like I said, it needs to take a step forward. Hopefully the pass catchers and the reliable weapons on the outside will allow them to do a little bit more through the year here in 2022. The front seven defensively is also back almost in its entirety. We all know the linebackers. We don't need to go deep down the rabbit hole about how good this trio of linebackers is. I want to focus a little bit more on the defensive front because this defensive front brings back three out of four. And you have a guy now, I think, in Luke's Van Ness that has a chance to not just play inside, but also outside. Look, reading about his versatility throughout the course of the spring, he might be poised for an all Big Ten type of season. I think there's a lot of excitement over the front seven defense, but you think about why they were in the spot that they were in last year is because that group collectively in the front seven in the big 10 of all leagues is a great place to start when building the strength of your team. And then finally, when you think about some of the defense they do have experience in the back end. Now, they have to replace a few starters. There's no denying that. And they have to replace some quality starters too. But if you're going to bring back the Big Ten defensive back of the year and Riley Moss, guy missed three games, still won Big Ten defensive back of the year, that's a pretty good starting point. Him combined with Kayvon Merriweather, I think the entire defense has a chance to be really good. And the experience that you have in the back end specifically sets you up for potential success against like what I talked about a Big Ten that is moving a little bit more towards being willing to throw the football around the yard. So that's it for Iowa. I think they got a chance to get back to 10 wins for sure. But man, I think it's going to be a whole heck of a lot more difficult here in 2022 than it was in 2021. Macro, let me ask you, how underappreciated is Coach Ferentz on a national level? I think he is universally respected for being true to what he believes in with what he does philosophically in player development. And you look at and talk to people, and he's obviously an offensive line coach. That's his bread and butter. That's his. That's what he does best. That's what I think they cater the team towards. And if you look at the player development that they've used over the years, guys that are strong, willing to, to buy in and do an amazing job and just putting their head down in the weight room and then going out and becoming a better player on the backside of their careers, they take more two and three star guys. It feels like than just about anybody. You look at their recruiting classes like, shoot, man, you're never going to see five star guys. You, I mean, occasionally, maybe, but there's not like that rosters littered 
with five-star guys. I feel like this program does more with less and brings guys further than most when it comes to where they start their career, what kind of player they are at the start of their career to where they finish their career. So I think Kirk Ferentz does a really good job of being true to his roots. Now, I think he's stubborn in some ways too. <laughs> you know, I think some people, especially Iowa fans, are like, man, why can't we just update the offense and look like everybody else in college football? Well, Kirk Ferentz believes in what he does and look at the success. I mean, the guy has won a lot of football games for a very, very long time. So uh, I have a hard time understanding why you would change because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I do wonder if here in the next few years, if the Big Ten does move in the direction where I think it's going to move when they play against, you know, the Ohio States of the world, when they play against, uh, you know, the Purdue's of the world and some of the teams like that, will they be able to keep up if in fact their defense doesn't have their A game. So for instance, their defense gives up 28 points in a game. The likelihood of them winning is not really that high when compared to some of the other teams they face. So uh, I think things have to go a certain way for Iowa. The way I describe it is if I'm driving from Los Angeles to New York, there's a million different roads and highways that I can take from point A to point B. Well, if I'm Iowa, point A is the start of the game. Point B is the victory. They have fewer roads to be able to become victorious on a week-in, week-out basis, basis based on how they play. So we'll see if they evolve. We'll see if they change. Maybe they will, but it doesn't feel like that's something Kirk Ferentz has really wanted to do at this point. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Now moving on to a team that Iowa fans should be relatively familiar with. Not to rub salt in the wound by any stretch of the imagination, but their last outing was against Kentucky Wildcats. And Kentucky, of course, putting together a really nice drive there at the end to secure the victory from Iowa. What a bowl game that was. Even though Iowa was on the losing end, came away very impressed with what they did defensively against Kentucky for a vast majority of that game. Kentucky has been to six straight bowl games. They've won four straight bowl games. And when you look at what Mark Stoops has built there in Lexington, a place that has long been considered, oh, you know, football's an afterthought. No, it's not. You go up there to Kentucky, you realize just how important football is to that community and to the fan base of Big Blue Nation. And it's no secret, it's no surprise either, that they're starting to find some consistent success because of the program that Mark Stoops has built. They went 10 and three last season. They're looking for their first back-to-back 10 win season in program history. And I'm just going to cut to the chase. I think it's very gettable, especially looking at the state 
of the SEC East. Granted, there's a few games, a few landmines lying along the way, but I think they can get to 10 again this year, and it wouldn't surprise me, given what they bring back if they're in the hunt for really uh, unprecedented success in their program's history. Let's start with the bad news, just like we have with every other program. The bad news is that you have to replace an offensive coordinator in Liam Cohen that did a remarkably good job for you last year. Now, they hired him because they needed to kind of get into what was a, you know the new age. So they go and they say, all right, who's the best offensive mind in football right now, according to most? They want to be pro style. They want to run the football. They want to get off tackle, all this other stuff. But who's the most innovative guy in the NFL? A lot of people say it's Sean McVay. And they go and they hire Sean McVay's quarterback coach, Liam Cohen. He goes to Lexington for a year. And what a difference it makes. Not only did Will Levis take a significant step, but Wandale Robinson, their wide receiver, burst onto the scene, becoming an all-SEC performer. And this was an offense that scored more than 10.5 points a game more than they did in the 2020 season. That, coupled with the fact that they actually averaged more than 100 yards passing per game than they did in 2020 as well. So they were great on that side of the ball with what Liam Cohen brought to that offense, that coupled with a really strong rushing attack was a recipe for success. Now you have to go get a new coordinator, more on him in just a little bit, but it's going to be tough, I think, to recreate the magic of what they had a year ago. Cohen now, of course, back with the Los Angeles Rams, but he's the offensive coordinator now of the Rams, not the quarterback coach, because Kevin O'Connell became the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. Moving next to the secondary. Think about the SEC. You think about some of the teams that they're going to face, a couple of the shootouts they got into last year. The secondary was a problem last year for Kentucky. Relatively speaking, of course, because there have been moments where the secondary in the last handful of years under Mark Stoops, that's his bread and butter. He's a secondary coach. There have been moments where this group has been top half, top third, top five in the SEC. Not in 2021. When you look at the games against both Mississippi State and Tennessee, those quarterbacks in Hendon Hooker and Will Rogers, they virtually completed almost every pass they threw. I mean, it was, they completed nearly 71% of their passes against Kentucky. And that was with guys that had played a decent amount, like Cedric Court and Quandre Mosley and Yusuf Corker. And the fact that their nickel, Devontae Robinson, all those guys are now gone. Well, you replace experienced guys that got torched with young guys could be a little bit concerning. Good news is they don't really have, you know, a whole lot of problems to try to figure out. These guys are young, they're raw, and they're going to go out there and figure it out. The only other issue that you have is you got to figure out depth. Because right now, if you look at their, I guess, their ability to jump in production, they only forced five turnovers, by the way, in the eight games that they played there in the secondary. So they got to get better production from that job. So sometimes replacing guys is not the worst thing. But man, I'd like to do it with a few more familiar faces. They have talent. They've recruited pretty well. Just I don't know what the depth is right now. And if they don't have a strong front line and they want to replace guys because of a lack of production, it might be more difficult to do that knowing that there are some unfamiliar faces like waiting in the weeds. That's the second worst part. Here's the third worst part. How the heck do you replace Wandale Robinson? We just talked about him. And Iowa fans know that watched earlier. I think Kentucky fans know too. They would not have won a few games if Wandale Robinson wasn't on that team. I'm not sure they win the Iowa game. I mean, he took that game over. 
there in the fourth quarter and did so many nice things for him and, and really did throughout the course of the season. And the way Liam Cohen moved him around and created opportunities and matchups for him and, and was willing to kind of be creative in trying to make sure that all of his attributes were on display was really a breath of fresh air. So how do you replace that? All right, now the good news is you went to the portal, you got him from Nebraska. Now you go to the portal again. You go get Virginia Tech transfer Tavion Robinson. Now, he might be the biggest piece of the puzzle. He might be the guy who can adequately replace what Wandale was last year. But he's in three years at Virginia Tech, granted with some up and down quarterback play with guys that are in and out of the line. It just Virginia Tech situation in the last handful of years, you can almost just rip it off because it's almost difficult to project. I mean, he had to have taken the field with four or five different quarterbacks, it feels like. I don't know the specific number, but goodness gracious, it felt like it. For Virginia Tech, it was a rotating cast. So their passing game never really got going. When you look at what he was, though, the guy's got 1,500 career receiving yards, even with the uncertainty that they've dealt with at quarterback at Virginia Tech. Now, maybe he can get on the same page with Will Levis. They can develop some chemistry, maybe develop some continuity with some of the option routes they like to use for their number one wide receiver. He might be a guy that takes a significant step. You also bring in Javon Baker from Alabama. And Alabama fans and Alabama coaches rave about this guy's potential. Just was going to be difficult for him to kind of figure out his way into the mix early on. He was just behind too many guys to be able to get on the field. And now, hey, maybe that potential is realized sooner than most would assume because he's going to get ample amounts of playing time. They also have a couple of freshmen. Dane Key is another guy to keep in mind. Now, he's he's a little bit thin. He, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he does have explosiveness that you might be able to rely on. So another name to remember. So Javon Baker, Dane Key, and of course, Tavion Robinson. All three of those guys might be poised to take over that number one spot for Kentucky. And they got to have a guy emerge there if they're going to be the offensive passing attack that they were a year ago. That's the bad news. All right, here's the good news, because I think there's actually quite a bit of good news for Kentucky. Rick Scarangello, who is your uh, Scangarello, excuse me, I always mess that up for whatever, Scarangello, I don't know where I get that, but Scangarello and Will Levis, that's a great place to start. You have an experienced quarterback that played at a really high level last year. But hey, there was some uneven performances. There's no denying that. I think even Kentucky fans, they see the first round grade and they're like, hang on, really? I think even Kentucky fans are a little bit hesitant to anoint him as one of the top quarterbacks in college football. There were just some uneven performances, which is completely reasonable. The guy had not started at the highest level of football prior to last year. I mean, he played a little bit in spot duty, but now here with an entire offseason under his belt, an entire year development under his belt, you got to think he's going to take the next step. How quickly can he get on the same page with his new offensive coordinator, Rick Scar- Scangarello? Now, here's the thing I'll say about Scangarello is he was previously with the 49ers. And the 49ers, look, if you can't get Sean McVay, Shanahan is pretty dang good. (laughs) So you already had the Los Angeles Rams system. Now you have the San Francisco 49er system. They're all coming from the same tree. So you went and got a guy that's very similar to the guy that you got last year and used with remarkable success. I think it's going to be in a good spot. 
I really think they're going to be in a good spot offensively. And if they can get a little bit more predictable performance from Levis, he can improve just a little bit with his intermediate accuracy. He can improve a little bit more with his decision to stay in the pocket as opposed to becoming a runner as quickly as he did at times last year. They could be poised for a significant boost. That's the first piece of good news. You got a great coordinator potentially, and I think you have the possibilities and the makings of a great quarterback there that's back for year number two. Here's the second part of why I feel really good about what Kentucky might be offensively or as a team, the run game. All right, we know that Kentucky is always going to pride itself on trying to establish the line of scrimmage, and they're going to try to pride themselves on running the football. They have Chris Rodriguez, who last year, he was one of the best running backs in the SEC, rushed for nearly 1,400 yards. Now, he's had a couple things off the field this year. There's questions about whether he'll be available for the full 12-game set. We'll find that out, and if we find out any information, we'll keep you updated. But if for whatever reason he's not available for an extended period of time or a short period of time, they have capable pieces that would be likely backing him up. One would be Cavassier Smoke, who's very speedy, does a really good job on the perimeter. The other is Juton McClain, who also has a lot of a potential and a lot of ability as well. And then some freshmen that might be in the mix. One in, one in particular has already re- been receiving some pretty rave reviews out of Kentucky. That'd be Lavelle Wright. So he's a freshman. We'll see if he can work his way into the mix. And at running back, you can play early. It's definitely doable. It's just a little bit tougher when it comes to the protection. But you want to give me the ball? Make, I'll make guys miss like I always have. Freshmen can figure it out. That's for sure. So that's the second piece of really good news for Kentucky is the run game should be rock solid with the running back depth and quality that they have at several different positions. Here's the third piece. In the SEC, I need to have a quarterback. Kentucky's got one. I need to have a defensive line. Absolutely have to have those two positions. Well, the good news is they have a defensive line. You're going to say, hang on, Greg, they, they lose three starters. Yeah, but it opens the door for a lot of guys that signed in the 2020 class, the hyped up class of 2020 that included multiple four stars, a five star that hyped up class of 2020 is finally now going to get their opportunity to take advantage of additional playing time. So they might actually be better than the group that just departed. That's a possibility. I don't know that right now. It's difficult for me to project, but I'm very excited about the upside that that, group might possess. So I think Kentucky's in a great spot at quarterback. I think they're in a great spot at coordinator. They're a great spot in the run game. I think their defensive line has a chance to be just as good as they were a year ago, albeit just the tiniest bit in experience. So I think Kentucky, when you're looking at it in the SEC East with their schedule, it's the most manageable in all of the SEC. The likelihood of getting back to 10, I think is increasingly high. Would I say 60% that they get back to 10? That's where I'd be. I think it hinges on week two, a road trip to Florida, but they bring back a lot of quality pieces. Just got to iron out a few different things, and Kentucky could very well find themselves back into a New Year's Day bowl game, and who knows, maybe even the New Year's Six. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com.
All right, moving on now to our next and final team of today. Let's talk about the reigning Big 12 champs. They are the Baylor Bears. Nobody really saw it coming. I certainly didn't see it coming last year. That surge that they made with Dave Aranda, bringing in a new offensive coordinator in Jeff Grimes, creating the identity that they created offensively and being able to really get what was a veteran group in a lot of ways to play together at a really, really high level, a consistently high level throughout the course of the season. They did not, they did not, I guess, open the door for me to see this coming last year. I would never have anticipated, but here we are. Baylor is back in the mix. It's a team that is no stranger to success. They have had multiple 10-win seasons in this decade, 14 and 15. The last time they went back-to-back, they had a 10-win season in 19. They, of course, did it last year. I think they're poised, again, to make a run at a 10-win season. Feel really good about them. I think the Big 12 is up for grabs. There are so many good teams. There's so many improved ball clubs. But when you look at what Baylor brings back, there's an awful lot to like. Let's start with the bad news. You lose some stars. Okay, There's no denying that Jalen Petrie at safety, I, I don't know if I would go as far as to say he was my favorite defender in college football, but he would crack the top five. This guy had great range. He had great explosiveness. He had amazing instincts. Just had a real knack for playing the position. When you talk to Dave Aranda, who better to ask than him? Dave Aranda said he's so much like the Honey Badger. <laughs> okay, Honey Badger's a Hall of Famer. But then you watch him, it's like, okay, I, I can, I can kind of see that. <laughs> I kind of I I get it. It makes sense. Maybe not the biggest guy in the world, but my goodness, does he make a lot of plays? Yeah, so I kind of get it. So Baylor, I think, losing him, especially in the back end, with how Dave Aranda kind of moved him around and allowed him to play freely and instinctively, that would be difficult. That, coupled with the fact that you look at their secondary, man, it's a lot of young pieces. Doesn't mean they won't have talent. Doesn't mean they won't have players. They bring back Wolcott, and they bring back Christian Morgan. But that is a position group that is a little bit green. And knowing that the Big 12, it's not as pass-happy as it once was, but there's still a lot of offense that could score a lot of points. If you can't match up in the back end, that could be insanely difficult. All right? That's one issue. Two, you lose Terrell Bernard. I thought Terrell Bernard last year was fantastic. If you look at what he meant to the team, he led the team last year with 100-plus tackles. He had seven and a half sacks. He had 12 and a half tackles for loss. The numbers are obvious, okay? He made a lot of plays. He was big. He was physical. He had good feel for the game. He could track the football. So it's not going to be easy to be able to just flat out replicate that success. The good news is I'll get to him in a minute. You got a guy... Dylan Doyle that might be able to adequately fill that void. He was second on the team in tackle. So more on him in just a minute. And then finally, you lose a guy in Abram Smith, who I thought meant an awful lot to what this team was offensively. When you think about what Jeff Grimes wants to implement, Jeff Grimes wants to implement a downhill one-cut rushing attack where they start off tackle and then that running back puts his outside foot in the ground and he gets vertical. Well, Abram Smith, if you don't know the story last year, Abram Smith was a linebacker up until fall camp for the most part. He was just beating dudes up right and left, being physical throughout spring. And that kind of got Jeff Grimes thinking. It's like, hang on a second. Is that guy ever played offense? Like, maybe we'll try him out at running back. Well, 
Long story short, they move him to running back. Nobody can tackle him. And the next thing you know, he's their full-time guy and becomes one of the better running backs in America that nobody really talks about. He ended up going for 1,600 yards, averaged over sixteen over six yards a carry, and had 12 touchdowns. I'd say that's productive, knowing that you hadn't played the position for that long. Their leading returning rusher actually would have been their quarterback, Gary Benahannon, if he had not transferred now to USF. So they will miss his presence there in the backfield. The good news is I think this offense has a chance to take the next step throwing the football. Blake Shapin is a guy that won that quarterback derby against Gary Bohannon, and now will be able to have an entire offseason. I really admire, I really do, I really admire how Dave Aranda handled this situation because if you look at what most places do when it comes to the quarterback spot, they wait until the 11th hour to announce who the starter is going to be because they understand that, hey man, as soon as I announce the starter, that guy that just got beat out, he's going to transfer and we're going to lack when it comes to depth. Dave Aranda said, man, I owe it to both guys to give them clarity and to tell them exactly which way we're headed. So he names Blake Shape in the starter. As a result, Gary Bohannon gets a chance to transfer before the summer, find a new home. He ends up at USF and now will have a chance to potentially win that job. So I just admire how he handled that. And I think that's really, really solid. Uh, really, really solid by Dave Aranda and just doing the right thing by the kid. So got off on a slight tangent there. But either way, Blake Shapin, I think, is going to be really solid in this gig. He's started multiple games, had five touchdowns last year. He's played on a big stage already. He will not be affected because he played pretty dang well in the Big 12 championship game against Jim Knowles and an Oklahoma State defense that was solid at all three levels. So they'll be good at quarterback. Here's the other pieces of good news. You're good on both lines of scrimmage. You bring back four out of five starters, guys with starting experience along the offensive line. And that group last year, while they didn't have crazy NFL-level talent, they played really cohesive football. They were like elephants on parade, man. Those guys were in unison when they'd take their angles, when they'd pass off their blocks, when they'd climb to the second level. They did so really beautifully. Now, they didn't have any crazy maulers that'll be drafted in the top 10. But when you watch the group as a whole, the sum is greater than each individual part. And I think that goes back to how Jeff Grimes coaches it and how they have just work over and over and over again on not that many plays. They make it very simple on the offensive line and they get really good at what they do. When you bring back that much experience on a group that had success last year, it leaves you to think that regardless of who the running back is, they're going to be just fine. And then finally, the biggest reason why I'm excited about what Baylor might be this year is the defensive line. Yeah, we already referenced the fact that they lose quality pieces at the second level like Terrell Bernard and even the third level like Jalen Petrie. But you bring back Dylan Doyle, who last year had 90 tackles. He'll be able to step right into a featured off-the-ball linebacker role. And to take the pressure off of him, because they might be breaking in some guys that have a little less experience, you got a solid core. Cole Maxwell's back along the front. Siaki Ika is one of the best nose tackles, defensive tackles in college football for being 350, the way he moves. He's a three-down defensive tackle at 340-plus pounds. That tells me all I need to know. The fact that he can push the pocket and is nimble enough and is athletic enough and has enough agility to be able to make guys miss and get in the backfield is pretty dang impressive. Like I said, at three and a half bills, 
That's pretty strong. So Siaki Ika is poised for a potential All-American type of season. And then finally, Gabe Hall, who I think has a chance to take the next step there at that other defensive end spot. So to have your three guys back in the middle of that defense that was really, really good last year, take the pressure off the absence of Terrell Bernard makes me feel pretty good. That coupled with the fact that you know that Ron Roberts, the defensive coordinator, and Dave Aranda, those guys will have a plan. Those guys will be good on that side. You could make a case that it's one of the best coaching staffs in America with how they thoughtfully attack the opposing side of the football each and every week. I love Baylor this year. I think they will get back to 10. It's just a matter of whether or not they win the Big 12 because I think this Big 12 is as wide and as deep as it's been in quite some time. Now it's time to dive into a few news and notes around the college football world and all of us we're on pins and needles earlier this morning. We found out the news about Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman. He unfortunately has been sidelined indefinitely with a, quote, medical procedure. A non-football-related issue, the school would not go into any further details, but head coach Dave Clawson insisted that Hartman will return at some point this season. That was good news for all of us because my mind started spinning thinking, oh my goodness, what is it? I hope he's okay. Prayers were coming out from all corners of the college football world. So, so relieved to know right now that Sam Hartman will at some point return to a Wake Forest team that has really high hopes this year. In the interim, they will already name Mitch Griffiths the starting quarterback for the the near term. He's the last Wake quarterback to throw a touchdown outside of Sam Hartman, but that was late against Clemson in the 2020 opener. That's right. It's been that long since another quarterback for the Demon Deacons has thrown a touchdown. Hartman does an amazing job in that offense, and knowing that he could be sidelined indefinitely has a big, big cloud over what Wake Forest might be this year. But all I know is I'm glad he's okay. I'm glad he'll be able to return. So we are hopefully awaiting his return and hoping the very best in his rest and rehabilitation to get back on the field as humanly possible. Other news and notes. Out of Columbia, Missouri, Eli Drinkwitz, the head coach of the Missouri Tigers, he has officially announced a starting quarterback. Brady Cook has won a three-way quarterback derby against Tyler Macon, and the transfer from Mississippi State, Jack Abraham. He'll start the week one game against Louisiana Tech. That'll be on September 1st. So naming the starter at Missouri, is it a big deal? Yes, here's why. Because Macon looked like a very agile quarterback, a guy that could really run, create maybe a different type of attack for that offense. Whereas Cook, much like Basilak, his predecessor, much like some of the guys that Eli Drinkwitz has had, had success with in the past, like Ryan Finley at NC State, and some of the guys he had success with back at Boise State, he's traditionally gone with more of a pocket passer. But I thought with Macon, it could open up another level of what this offense could ultimately be. But it seems like Brady Cook, he was the most accurate. He made the best decisions and graded out the best throughout the course of spring, summer, and fall camp. So it should come as no surprise that Eli Drinkwitz being the quarterback guy that he is, he wants to get this thing situated. He wants to leave no doubt, and he wants to allow Brady Cook to assume the leadership role now throughout the rest of 
fall camp. So that'll do it for the news and notes for us today. For all of us here at Always College Football, thanks so much for being with us. Please like, rate, and subscribe wherever it is you're getting the content, whether it's on the ESPN YouTube channel, Apple Podcast, or if you're here with us on Spotify, we appreciate the interaction that we've had with you. Tell your friends too. Let them know. Always College Football is your home for college football. We appreciate you being with us. So please like, rate, and subscribe. Hit us up in the email. Hit us up with mailbag questions. Always college football at gmail.com. Hit us up on social media, whether it's Instagram or Twitter at Always CFB. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. We hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks for being with us. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.